Hello, and welcome to the Adafruit CircuitPython Weekly for October 22nd, 2018. I'm Scott, and I'm sponsored uh, by Adafruit to work on CircuitPython full-time. Uh, this is a weekly meeting that we have where we all of the uh, CircuitPython community gets together uh, to talk about all, th all things CircuitPython, whether it's projects that we're working on or uh, specific code or features that we're debating adding or adding to the CircuitPython core. Um, this meeting happens every week on Mondays, unless there's a U.S. holiday, typically, uh, and everybody is welcome to join. The It happens Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern, uh, on our Discord channel. You can join our Discord at any time by going to the URL adafru.it slash Discord. Uh, that will uh, get you into all of our different Adafruit text chats. You'll see a CircuitPython text chat. Uh, we're there uh, most of the week, so feel free to drop in if it's not on Monday. Um, this meeting is structured in four parts. Uh, we'll start with a state of CircuitPython, which is kind of a statistics view of the health of the project, uh, both the core of the project and the libraries of the project. And then we'll go on to hug reports, which we do as a round robin. Round robin idea is that I will start as an example, and then we'll go through everybody in the list of um, people in the voice chat on Discord right now. Um, and if they're looking, we'll just skip over them. That's totally cool. People just want to listen in. Uh, if you're also text only, uh, you can also just post your hug reports and your uh, status updates on text, and I'll read them off in case people are listening just to the audio of this. Um, we'll also do a round robin for status updates. So, so hug reports is a round robin where you say thanks to people for the the work that they've been doing and then status updates is a like what have you done in the last week and what do you plan on doing in the next in the coming week it's really nice for tips and tricks so like if if you're working on something that somebody else has done related work on uh, you can coordinate and get some ideas from one another which is good and then lastly we'll have it in the weeds section which is uh, a longer discussion section for anything that came up uh, kind of during those previous sections or uh, just in top in general topics that people want to talk about that might be more specific or more detailed, that sort of thing. We do those last so that the kind of bulleted point stuff can happen first and people can listen to that uh, at the start. Um, we do record this meeting, so if you are in the CircuitPython text channel or the voice chat, be where you are being recorded. Um, I record it on my end. It goes up on the Adafruit YouTube channel which is youtube.com slash Adafruit. There's a playlist there of the both of the video recording of the of the Discord window and of the audio that's happening as well. Um, and I actually just uh, ScanLime hooked me up with diode.zone, which is a PeerTube instance, which is a kind of a distributed YouTube thing. And so I put last week's meeting up there and I plan on putting uh, this recording up there as well. So uh, it was kind of inspired by the YouTube outage that happened, and I, I love this idea of more open source distributed sorts of alternatives to these centralized services. So I'm uh, going to be putting uh, the recordings up on Diazone as well, so check that out. Uh, very neat, and the quality is really good. So um, it'll go up there. Uh, I think I covered everything, so uh, let's go straight into State of Circuit Python. Uh, those of you in the listening in, if I do forget stuff, feel free to let me know. Um, 
Oh, I should say, along with the the recordings, uh, we do notes, and those notes have time codes. So if you do want to skip around in this recording, uh, you'll see you'll see time codes in there, so you can do that. So I'll take a time code and get in the state of CircuitPython. So um, I'll cover the overall health and then also the the core of it, and then hand it off to Katni for libraries. So uh, first and foremost, uh, overall we had twenty four pull requests merged. Uh, from 13 different authors, which is, in, is just an awesome number. Uh, that number of authors keeps growing. And in, in fact, here we had seven reviewers as well. So that is a little bit higher than what we're used to as well, um, which is great. Um, and I'll let Katni and I point out individuals who are new to that. And then uh, closed issues or issues wise, we closed 11 issues. Uh, Five people closed 11 issues, and 14 were opened by 11 people. So we're uh, gaining some issues, um, but we have a lot of engagement from those five and 11 people. So that's really good. Um, Core-wise, we had uh, six pull requests merged. I, I pulled these numbers like just an hour ago, so they're pretty fresh. Although GitHub was having issues, so they might be stale from their end. Uh, but at the core, we had six pull requests merged from five different authors. Uh, I wanted to shout out a couple... Or, three of the five <laughs> um sag attack and c47d and sabas 1080 are all uh new contributors or like uh have only contributed a few times so thank you to them and then the other two are myself and dan so uh we don't need the <laughs> the props we do that pretty regularly and then uh, we have 11 open pull requests which i think it was 13 when i looked earlier but it might have changed so that number changes a little bit um, if you do want to see what those 11 open pull requests are, uh, in case you want to start by um, doing reviews, you, you can go to the notes and we have a full list. Uh, issues wise, in the core, we had six closed issues by two people and five opened by five people. So we are uh, one, uh, one less issue than last time uh, for a total of 65 open issues. And again, there's a link to where you can see all those open issues. Um, pretty good pretty it's good to always keep up with the rate of issues so that that's awesome um downloads wise we had uh dan released 4.0 alpha 2 last week and i i don't know exactly what day that was but we had 110 downloads of that so far uh the most interesting thing to me about the download stats for 4.0 alpha is that it starts to uh we're starting to see the different languages that people are downloading so out of those 110, we had 82 English uh, US downloads, but we also had 15 French downloads, four Spanish downloads, uh, seven German downloads, uh, one Tagalog, and one uh, Brazilian Portuguese. So that is awesome. And as you may have noticed, we have more languages as well, which is really cool uh, also. Um, and then on the stable side for 303, which is our latest stable release, we've had 16 uh, 100 downloads total which is all super typical um so yeah uh i guess overall uh, before i hand it off to katney i would say that um we're making good progress on 4.0 um you'll see us talk about ble later which is kind of the cornerstone of the 4.0 release so it'll be nice to see some work done on that um and 303 has been super solid so i i don't really expect any more work on the 3x branch um, just expect to see 4.0 get more stable and, and ship on some devices because we had the display stuff in there. So we actually, 
go kind of crazy sometimes and ship uh, brand new code on devices because we want those extra features. So uh, Furrow is going really well, and I expect to see it uh, to continue to grow. Um, all right, uh, Katni, how are the libraries doing? We are doing well. Um, I wanted to point something out, though. I was okay. looking at the Hacktoberfest statistics today. There are currently over 27,000 open issues tagged with Hacktoberfest, which is amazing. But the great thing about it is that all of the issues that we've tagged with Hacktoberfest have, have gotten attention, hmm. um, even with that massive number available to search through if, if people are searching for Hacktoberfest issues. So I just wanted to say that was a really cool thing that I found out earlier today and wanted to share that. And thanks to everyone who has been, um, who has been, has been doing that and who has helped with, with Hacktoberfest stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so we had uh, 18 pull requests merged from nine different authors. Um, I wanted to call out Crandall J for what I think is their first uh, PR. Um, we had six reviewers. Uh, we currently have 10 open pull requests. I know, a lot of them are getting some um, some pretty serious attention, so we're we're definitely keeping up with that. I think there's a couple that are a little bit on hold, um, and I will uh, probably point those out this week and see if anybody wants to take a look at those again and um, see what we can do. We had uh, five issues closed by four people and nine opened by six people, so we're definitely increasing issues. However. This is good because it means people are using our stuff and they're finding bugs. So um, we're, we, we've got a lot of issues to work through. Um, all of them are listed here. Uh, definitely a good place to take a look. Um, as well, there's the uh, library tracking issue, which is linked later in the notes. Um, so if you want sort of a centralized place to go and find out all the information about what's going on with the libraries, you can check out that issue. It's on the CircuitPython repo. Um, it has links. Uh, I need to update it later today, so it was updated last week. Um, but it makes it super easy to, to go to the issues. Everything is actually linked, um, and it's all in one place. So we have a few um, issues still going on with some repos, but uh, a lot of the repos that are listed uh, further down are actually repos that are brand new, mm -hmm. uh, and that's why they have all these problems, because there's <laughs> nothing in them yet. Um, so we're actually doing really well. Um, I'm I'm really excited about all of the all the stuff that's been going on with the libraries, and thank you for everybody who's been involved. And that's where we're at. Great, thank you. Um, all right, uh, and with that, we'll finish Data Circuit Python and move on to Hug Reports. Uh, right after I take a time code. Um, Hug Reports is a chance for us to say thank you to the folks that have been doing awesome work. Um, basically, since the last time we had the uh, last chance, we had to say thank you. Uh, for those of us who come every week, it tends to be on a weekly thing. But feel free to thank people for things that happened uh, further in the past. Like if you found a cool presentation somebody did a year ago, or that that's totally worth it. Um, so I will start. Uh, and I wanted to say, first and foremost, thank you to Arturo for the, oh, sorry, time code. Um, thank you for uh, sending out the PR, the work in progress PR for the BLE stuff. Uh, it looks like a really good start. And I'm excited to have further BLE conversations later in this, uh, in the in the weeds section. We'll do that. Um, 
So thank you for for really laying the foundation that we can build upon and and fine tune to be as Python-y and CircuitPython-y as we can make it. Um, Second, I want to say C47D and Sabas1080, thank you for all the Spanish work or the work on the Spanish translation. I just invited them both to be collaborators because uh, the Spanish translation has had a lot of back and forth from folks uh, really helping fine tune the translation. So I wanted to give them the opportunity to to approve and merge uh, PRs as they see fit. And then lastly, I wanted to uh, just uh, give a shout out to clar.sh uh, for their support for the Maker Diary NRF 52840 uh, development board. It's just a PR now unless Dan merged it, um, but we'll get to that soon. And, and excited to support uh, more and more third-party boards because we want to see CircuitPython and on as many device, different devices as we can. Um, so thank you to clar.sh as well. Um, now Bravo Delta is lurking, so we'll go to Brennan. Thanks to Jerry for working on the DHT library and fiddling around with pull requests. I for all the library wrangling. Um, I feel like this whole thing is sort of starting to really come together as an ecosystem, and that is pretty cool to see. Awesome. Yeah, you, you all deserve a lot of credit for building that building that ecosystem. It's awesome. Um, yeah, I'll get to Sedacious's stuff. I was going to do it in alphabetical order. So as if Sedacious was in the list. That's why I skipped it. Um, okay, Carter. Um, group hug this week. And then also a big one to Dan for dealing with Windows drivers on the <laughs> That's ongoing, and I think he's figured out some great stuff that's solving some things. So thanks for that. Awesome. <laughs> no. Sedacious, your notes weren't late. I was just, I had skipped them because I wanted to do it in order. He can't hear me. I don't know why I'm saying that. Um, <laughs> okay, Charles. Well, uh, I... I guess uh, it's still the same old group hug because uh, I haven't, you know, dealt with anybody specifically. But it really, it's really wonderful to see how this is developing because uh, I f- I find that every time I listen to listen to one of these sessions, I find new things. So it's a group uh, hug to everybody who is ever involved. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks, Charles. Uh, all right, Dan. Hi. So I'll just, there are a lot of things that I, you listed so many things, but I'll just repeat. I'll echo uh, that. Thanks, Arturo, for the uh, BLE work. We really, that's going to be really helpful. And also thanks uh, to Katni for just organizing all this library work and plowing through all of it and keeping track of all of it. And it's really wonderful that we have uh, somebody who's doing that and is paying attention to to making sure that we handle outstanding issues. I think that's really important. Mm-hmm. Okay. Thanks, Dan. The uh, shipu. Okay, so thank you to Jerry and Hexdat for uh, helping. So for figuring out how to. Uh, actually use the mini TFT link um, uh, with CircuitPython. That was uh, awesome. Detective history job. And a group hack. 
<laughs> awesome. Thanks to Shapu. Uh, Drew. Yeah, uh, thanks to uh, Lady Ada for reviewing some of the PRs that I put in for Blinka for BeagleBone support. Awesome. Awesome. Okay, F. Morton is lurking, so we'll go... I think Jeff is... Uh... Jeff, do you have a mic? Jay Epler? Okay, I'll read it off. Uh, Jay Epler says, Hug reports to everybody, everyone reporting and working on issues. So... Uh, go ahead, Jerry. I'm uh, trying to find my notes here. <laughs> um, yeah, the, big thanks to uh, Brent uh, uh, for all his work on the LoRaWAN um, examples that he got out there for Arduino. It's been a big help in my trying to understand how this all works. And um, and Brendan for his help with uh, checking out the, the, the DHT updates that, that went in and um, testing the uh, memory usage. And uh, and uh, also as uh, uh, Deshu said, uh, hex that for uh, all his work on, on figuring out the uh, seesaw <laughs> connections on the mini TFT wing. Mm. Um, nice to nice to be able to access that now. Mm -hmm. And then uh, also Cascade for his help in, in trying to just remember how to do the bit, bitmap font stuff on the SSD thirteen oh six. That's now easy to do. <laughs> good, good. I'm glad. All right, thanks, Jerry, Josh says uh general group hub the hug this week it's amazing to see and hear about all of the amazing things people are doing with circuit python it certainly is evolving quickly awesome thanks josh and i'm glad you got to join in uh, katney yeah so i have a list today mm -hmm. um <laughs> thanks to carter for all the patient support on discord um there were people who brought stuff up over the weekend and um Carter took a lot of time to work with them. Um, also for fixing up the uh, MPR-121 documentation, um, there were changes to made to the code and the documentation needed to be updated and Carter took care of that. So thank you very much. Um, thanks to Sedacious for the ADXL34X driver uh, pull request. Um, where I'm really excited to see that. Um, it's being reviewed right now. Um, to Summersoft for the Adabot CLI updates, it's going to make updating my uh, library tracker much simpler. Um, mm -hmm. I don't have to go in and actually change the files anymore. Uh, I mm -hmm. can just run the command. Um, and thanks for adding examples to the lib bundles and fixing it so it's uh, 3x and 4x now. And also thank you ahead of time for updating the libraries page in the Welcome to Circuit Python guide to reflect the new lib bundle structure. Mm. Um, Thanks to Brennan for continued support with the Raspberry Pi stuff. Uh, thank you for always being there to wire up something ridiculous, which seems like <laughs> usually the case. Um, Summersoft and Carter for work on uh, Fram. And um, thanks to Sedacious and Summersoft for being a sounding board this weekend. I was working on a piece of code that I have been trying to figure out for days. Um, and I figured it out after talking it out. So thank you very much for that. Yay. Awesome. Awesome hug report. Um, all right. I'll read off. Clara.sh says, uh, hug report again to Tan Newt for putting up with my increasingly, <laughs> increasingly in the weeds questions and bug reports. Uh, also, a shout out to Arturo182 for reviewing my uh, PR1286, uh, which is 
Awesome. Um, SDW is lurking. Uh, Sedacious or Summersoft is usually text, so go ahead and put it in there. And then um, I'll read off Sedacious's here. Um, Sedacious says, uh, hug report to Katni for proofreading a thing. Uh, hug report to Deshipu for providing some code to kickstart the bitmap wrangling I'm doing. And um, lastly, uh, shout out to K-Town for the pull request review. Uh, K-Town also goes by MicroBuilder uh, in some circles. And then Summersoft says, um, Carter, Tanu, Katni for continued review and discussion on FRAM. Uh, Katni for catching a couple things I missed on Adabot changes and a group hug. Awesome. Great. Thank you, everybody. So that is hug reports. I don't think I missed anybody. Sometimes people come and go, but yeah, I think I got everybody. Um, so now we'll move on to status updates. Status updates is a software. At, hey, C47D just accepted collaborator. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Um, uh, sorry, I got distracted. Hug report or status updates is a very kind of uh, software engineering thing where people who are kind of doing disparate work get together and just talk about what they're working on. So uh, take a minute or two to talk about what you've done in the in the previous week up till now and then what you plan on doing going forwards. It's really a nice way for people to uh, hear about what you're doing and give you tips and tricks if they say like, oh, like um, look at this thing or look at that thing or make sure you don't do this, that sort of, that sort of, those sort of tips. So um, I'll start us off and then we'll uh, do another uh, round robin. So, um, yeah, and I, I, I guess I forgot to say that, uh, but Jerry did it, is that if you have uh, topics for In the Weeds, uh, please post those in the um, in the text chat and we'll collect those in the notes and then go back to those in the section after this one. Um, okay, so status updates for me. Um, uh, I added some debug info uh, to the uh, generated frozen mpy.c file uh, for de debugging like the file size and memory impact of the things that we have frozen in. Um, I worked on, I've been working primarily on the MIDI USB stuff. Um, so I, we want to get MIDI over USB working and I've, I've started with just getting the dis descriptors uh, generating using the descriptor library that we have, uh, the USB descriptor library we have. Uh, my hope is that uh, we can, uh, I can get that working by Wednesday. I, I have a demo I want to do on show and tell on Wednesday. Should that, so that should be exciting. Um, most of the structure is already there. Like it's a lot of reading the USB specs and stuff, which is you know kind of, kind of overwhelming. It's interesting because it's like from the '90s, which is also interesting. Um, and then, uh, once I get MIDI kind of like statically done, I think I'm going to switch back to the display IO stuff, um, because I removed frame buff and alpha two and people have started to notice that. So I really, uh, I really want to finish display IO so we can move people over to that. Um, so, uh, that will be my primary focus during the week this week. And then, uh, I have one other thing I need to do today, which I was working on. 
um, the toaster oven reflow thing that I, I've been doing, and I added some stack overrun detection stuff. So uh, I'll PR that. And what you'll see is that um, we changed the, the way the stack works a little bit in Forex. And so if if the stack happens to start overriding the heap, it'll actually, like, you'll get a, a Python exception, um, which means it won't crash. It just means that your, your program will stop and, and let you know. And there's not a whole lot you can do without, about that yourself, but it's it's uh, good for us to know that, that it happens. Um, okay, so let's, uh, let's loop-de-loop here and uh, go back to the top of the list. Uh, Bravo, Delta is lurking, so we'll go to Brennan. Uh, so last week was just kind of miscellaneous testing and docs work for a few things. Um, I just got an order from Adafruit with the remainder of the Pi Hat hardware that I didn't have, so I'm going to be focusing on guides for those, and I don't know if there will be library changes necessary, but there might be a few things with that. Okay. Then kind of whatever uh, testing Catney needs, there's probably there's still a set of breakout boards we need to test libraries on. Thinking mm-hmm. uh, and as sort of a side project, I I want some pedals for keyboard input um, because my text editor configuration really should get more complicated. <laughs> so I'm going to be uh, experimenting with using Circuit Python for that. Nice. Yeah, Dan did something similar, so I think that's really where Circuit Python will will shine. So I'm curious to see how that goes. And I know a lot of those foot pedal things are MIDI, so we don't have MIDI host yet, but uh, somebody was saying, like, it would be really cool if you could do USB host and support MIDI. But that is not coming in 4X, I promise you that. <laughs> Unless somebody else does it. It won't be, won't be me. Uh, but it'd be cool. Um, okay, uh, Carter. Um, a couple of things that came about from other locations. I found a bug in the NPR 121 library uh, helping out an Arduino issue in the forums, and it's in the CircuitPython one also. Basically, you have to turn it off to write to any registers, and that's being done in the constructor, but not after the fact. And hmm. it really wasn't a huge issue because the only thing that was trying to do that was setting thresholds at this point. So that really wasn't sticking. So I PR'd something for CircuitPython, and we'll see how that goes. And then another one I kind of, I'm not sure if it's an issue, more of a discussion point. I did submit an issue to the NeoPixel library. It looks like we're silently uh, just letting tuples that don't match the RGB uh, width. Hmm. And it kind of creates unexpected behavior because it just will send out zeros. So it doesn't crash, but you're not going to really get the results you expect. So it's going to kind of create questionable people are going to have questions on why it's doing what it's doing. So that's an issue that can be discussed. Mm -hmm. And I think that's all I got notes on. So that's it for me. Okay. Thanks Carter. All right, Charles. Nothing this week. Okay. Uh, Didn't get much done. No worries. Thanks for making it. Yeah. All right, Dan. Okay, so I, I finished a pulse out um, last week and then uh, made a 4.0 Alpha 2 release, which everybody knows about, which came out Tuesday, I guess Wednesday morning maybe or something like that. And then um, 
since then, I've been catching up on reviews and merges. And um, there's a this ongoing issue about using a certain uh, SPI peripheral on the NRF, which is really confusing and hard to figure out. And I have to interact with Nordic, the manufacturer, about that. So mm -hmm. I had some queries into them, and they've come back. And I need to try to come up with a test case for them. So I have to make, I have to figure out how to write a program that's not CircuitPython and compile it and build it ah. and run it. So, um, <laughs> which I haven't done at all, I think. And then there's some other random issues, uh, the Stack Overflow stuff, which Scott is working on. Uh, another person noticed that integer overflow errors don't have stack traces, at least some of them. Right. Turns out that's because constant folding is done in the parser. Mm. So. Uh, that was I kicked that up to MicroPython and they answered it. And now, nice. um, as as Carter mentioned, uh, I did some Windows driver stuff, which isn't, which isn't directly related to CircuitPython mm -hmm. necessarily, but uh, it helps it survive in the ecosystem. And we're looking at things having to do with the NRF, like maybe using a real-time operating system under the hood at some point. It's mm -hmm. so I spent some time just reading about that stuff mm -hmm. uh, in the past few days. So that's that's up. That's what's up for me. Okay. Awesome. Thanks, Dan. All right. Uh, Deshipu. Uh, okay. So it was quite a busy weekend. <clears throat> so first of all, there was uh, today was the deadline for the Hackaday Prize Finals, mm. so I had to finish my prototype of the of the Harry class or Barrett uh, with with a circuit Python Express on it. Mm -hmm. I posted a photo of it in a wide area. Uh, mm -hmm. So that's that's finished and that looks nice. Uh, I will continue working on it, of course. So for now, I'm, I'm happy with it. And second thing, finally, the pew pew, uh, the assembled pew pews uh, arrived from China. So I have them uh, in here and I can start uh, uh, shipping them. Uh, so if if anybody wants to have one like that, then they are on Tindy. Okay. And, Please uh, drop a link. Yeah. Yeah, uh, sure. <laughs> All right. Nice. All right. Thanks. Thanks, Deshipu. I think that was it. Um, all right, Drew. Yeah. Uh, so I've been adding ITC support in Blinka for the BeagleBone. Um, and for that, I've been using the BME280. So I do have that working right now, but there are um, some changes I had to make to other libraries to get that to work. Um, hmm. Most notably, one of the issues is that the Adafruit CircuitPython bus device library, it does a um, zero length write to check to see if an address is there. Mm -hmm. And on the BeagleBone, that causes a write error um, when it tries to write to the ITC um, device. Mm -hmm. um, it gets a write error back. So it must be due to some difference in the driver for the ITC bus master between the Pi and the BeagleBone. So mm -hmm. need to look at that more. So. There's like preliminary support there, but it requires workarounds that are not like the final solution. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Glad to hear you're making progress. Thanks. 
All right, uh, F. Morton is lurking, so we'll go to Jeff Epler, J. Epler. I think you're text only. And nothing. All right, go ahead, Jerry. Um, yeah, let's see, spent a bunch of time early in the week on uh, on the DHT, a um, couple of fixing a, a, a weird issue that came up last week with the uh, first read after boot, and that <laughs> that was a, a good head scratcher. <laughs> and then uh, and then spent a bunch more time uh, trying to um, merge in and fix up some changes that were made to work with the Raspberry Pi, and uh, that all seems to be working now. So that PR is in, uh, just waiting for review. And um, and then um, he spent, spent a bunch of time uh, again getting refamiliarized with uh, with the bitmap fonts and, and graphics and stuff like that because of the, the disappearance of frame buffs. So just trying to <laughs> remember how to use that and then play with it a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And there's this new graphics library that uh, somebody posted to the forum that I've been, been playing with a bunch on the. Um, um, it works pretty nicely. Nice. Uh, on the on the TFT uh, the the ILI ninety four thirty one whatever it is yeah. uh, TFTs I uh, just tried it on a on a um, um, the uh, mini TFT but uh, there, there there's some work to be done on that it doesn't quite doesn't quite work right mm. um, and then spent the rest of a lot more time on the LoRaWAN stuff and having a lot of fun that there's some new examples that Brent put out to use it with Arduino and there, there's this thing called Tiny LoRaWAN which is a really really small simple case hmm. and so it's now now working pretty well on the uh, arduino uh, side of things uh, communicating to a, a things network um, gateway and so i've been now working on trying to get ready to try and port that over to work under circuit python because it, it's maybe small enough to fit you know, like on an m0 mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah so that'd be cool i think that's my that's my real hope for this week is to see if we can get that working under circuit python yeah, I would. I I think we're pretty much to the point where new stuff should go into the M4. Um, yeah. Simply because we're running out of space and, like, because of the Halloween is an M0, I've got to fit more display stuff in there as well, which I'm right. a little worried about. Yeah, I'm. Not, I wasn't planning on anything being in the core for the for the LoRaWAN support. Okay. It, was all, okay. it was all Python. Oh, perfect. A, yeah, but uh. We'll see, and then, and then, but I think eventually it might make sense to try and put some of that into the core, especially the AES stuff. Yeah, uh, the core for for the M4. So yeah, totally. I thought I'd try to get it working under Python first as a simple case. Yeah, 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 yeah. That makes total sense. Thanks for all the work that you do on testing all that stuff, Jerry. As always, that's oh, great fun. The uh, this radio stuff's really cool. <laughs> yeah, I'm ex- I'm personally excited to get into it, uh, but I just you know I have other stuff to do first. <laughs> Um, but I'm glad you're working ahead of me. And, and I saw that display, the graphics library on the forums go by as well. And I, my hope is that we can port that to the new display stuff. Cause I think it's higher level than, than where the display IO or frame buff stuff is. So, yeah, I think, I, I think so. so. That'll be be fun to try and work on. He's done a lot of work on that. Awesome. Pretty good. Yeah. That's my hope is that that work won't go to waste for sure. Um, all right, before we go to Josh or Josh, you can type in, uh, but then I'm going to read off F Morton as well. Uh, who is lurking but had a status update. So I'll just take a time code. It says, um, I am lurking but want to let you know I submitted a PR to the Mew editor to add a run button and copy live files to CircuitPy if the files are not already stored on CircuitPy. 
Uh, works great with source code management. We are actively using this with kids at our makerspace. The PR is uh, github.com slash mu editor slash mu slash poll 485 if people want to take a look at that. Um, I'll do Josh, uh, read off Josh here. Um, Josh says, this week I've been working on an upgrading EduBlocks to use the new scratch block style, which is more optimized for touch. Uh, in Prens, blocks are larger with a bigger touch point, uh, which will hopefully help with when we get Bluetooth working, includes nice fields like sliders and workspace comments like sticky notes, uh, too, for a better experience. The public beta will be released this week. Awesome. And uh, if you're not looking at the recording of the video, check it out. There's a slide, uh, a screenshot of the new uh, Edublox look. So check that out uh, as well. Um, okay, Katni. Hey. So, um, updated a couple guides. The MCP 23XX is updated. There's an older guide that was deprecated. The NeoPixel Uber guide has been updated. Um, the updates to the NPR121 documentation are completed. Carter took care of that for me. Um, I added the newest libraries to PyPI. Um, I think the only one that was recent was the MAX31856. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, that's a permanently ongoing thing because every time we add libraries, <laughs> we put on PyPI. Mm -hmm. um, fixed a bunch of repo level issues identified by Adabot. You should notice that the issues list is a little shorter today than it was last week. Yay. Um, took care of a bunch of stuff with that. Um, and I posted the circuit Python library tracking issue um, in the notes. Uh, for this week, um, just added brand new uh, fix a slideshow <laughs> library bug. Um, so I'll take a look at that as soon as as soon as we're done here. Um, I need to update the NeoPixel Raspberry Pi guide. It's um, a super popular guide uh, that hasn't been updated in a very long time. And so where normally we've just been updating the sensor or hardware guides themselves with the Python and CircuitPython usage, um, because this is such a popular guide, we want to update it as well. So I'm going to work with Brennan to do that. Um, I need to finish the MCP3 triple X guide, um, which I have started, uh, but that needs to be finished. Um, next up is character LCD. Then after that, uh, finish the matrix keypad guide that was started before I was gone for a month. Um, and I need to update the CircuitPython library tracking issue today with the um, newest uh, information so we can keep uh, track of what's going on there. Awesome. Uh, thank you, Katni. So uh, next up, we have Clara.sh, who already typed it in earlier, so I'll just read that out um, after I take a time code. Uh, they say, uh, what's new? I finished a huge refactor of the KMK keyboard firmware project. Uh, I can now max out my personal typing speed around 100 words per mi minute rather than it it getting tripped up at 50 words per minute or so with a rolling eyes emoji and added a bunch of neat, more advanced functionality to it. Found and reported a possible deadlock and sometimes soft brick in CircuitPython, uh, which is issue uh, 1283. Uh, I finished my pinout slash port in, in quotes of CircuitPython to Maker Diaries NRF52840 MDK board submitted as PR uh, 1286. 
Uh, this week, going to finish uh, PR1274, which is the GZIP use, uh, ZLib stuff. Uh, hopefully, really make a repro scenario for 1283, which I think is recursive, like nested imports uh, errors. And then even more, hopefully, add ZIP module support uh, once 1274 goes through. Perfect. Uh, thank you for confirming that. Uh, all right. Uh, let's see. Uh, K-Town, do you have status updates and hard reports? I know you jumped in late. Uh, nothing specific to that. I, was, I'll, I can jump in uh, to the conversation later on the uh, maybe the BLE API. Okay. Yeah, totally. Uh, we'll do that mm-hmm. as the first in the weeds thing. Or maybe we'll do it later. There might be some short stuff. Um, before we get to Summersoft, I just wanted to, and I think Sedacious probably has notes as well. Um, go back and just look, uh, Lady Ada did jump in a little bit earlier with a leak, um, which is also kind of her status update. So, uh, if you're not looking at the recording, you should take a look. There's a leak here. Um, it's a new kind of gaming badge sort of thing that that she prototyped over the weekend. It's kind of like a Halloween, um, but less skull-shaped. Um, but the the contents of what's on the PCB is, is more like what you would see on the Halloween. So um, if you want to see a screen, screenshot from Eagle of that, uh, check that out. That's from Lady Ada. Um, okay. And then lastly, we I have two more to read off. Um, First, I have Sedacious. Again, I'll take a time code. Um, who says, uh, working some bitna- bitmap wrangling for the board I'm working on, I'll probably use a separate to whip up some simple animations and work on some code to drive them. Uh, another board is at the fab that should make doing DIY circuit Python boards even easier. Uh, says, I haven't gotten a I haven't forgotten about my DIY circuit Python board tutorial, but I'm pretty busy and my OS upgrade hit the notes file. I was doing all my writing in as a SQL SQL light file. So I'll have to write something to pull those out. Oops. Yeah. OS upgrades can screw you. I was surprised by the windows one where it's like, it's deleting files. That's, that's never good. Um, okay. 4213. Last but not least, we have Summersoft, who says, uh, for the FBRAM library, I squared C is almost done, I hope, with a winky emoji. Uh, it says, CircuitPython build tools, fix the readme, placement in the zip file, uh, Adabot, um, initial command line args for log output and error depth PR'd, awaiting confirmation on disable prompt issue will, uh, will work. Uh, this week, uh, update, welcome to CircuitPython learn guide with new library bundle info, including the new examples and the versions placement. Um, Adabot slash Travis cron research discussion and uh, time to refocus on frequency in. Awesome. Uh, thank you, as always, Summersoft, for all of that. Okay, uh, that is... Um, Scott, did you have something? I think you just unmuted. Nope. Okay, um, that is status updates. Thank you, everybody. All right, Scott is... All right, Cascade joined too. I think this might be a record for number of people. It's awesome. Um, Cascade, you'll have to go back and listen. You got a hug report earlier, I believe. Okay, and Scott just switched. 
Okay, let me take a time code and we'll go into um, the weeds. So um, the in the weeds section is a, a discussion section for, um, uh, wow, I was, reading, I was reading the things and lost my train of thought. Um, it's a discussion section for any topics that came up earlier when we're trying to do the round robin. Uh, it's also in general just a, like, what are things that we want to um, talk about? Um, so we have a big agenda item right now, which is uh, has to do with BLE, uh, and that's K-Town has hopped in just to talk about that. I think that um, we will actually, um, there's a couple others on here I want to knock out that I think will be quicker. So uh, let's just cover those briefly. Um, Jerry asked earlier, uh, I know this is answered in text, but I just do want to cover it briefly. Um, Jerry asked earlier about the difference between the um, uh, 3x and the 4x bundles. Um, I just wanted to mention it because I think there. My intention was always to have a major version match between the bundle and the CircuitPython release. We just um, didn't do that immediately with our Alpha One. Um, I know that. Uh, I know that we. <laughs> There was some discussion about like the actual internal version memories of MPy, but uh, we're we don't actually care to tell people that. Um, it's just we should always have a bundle for the major release that we're doing, and then uh, we will always increment the actual MPy versions with the bundles as well. So um, you should expect to see a new bundle for every major release that we do. Um, so that's that's all I wanted to say on that. Does anybody have anything else on that? I don't think so. Nobody jumped in. Um, take another time code, and there's a um, a note here for Raspberry Pi GPIO dependency. It says it's quick, so who wants to explain that? Yeah, that was me. Um, okay. I just noticed a handful, maybe more than a handful, of libraries where we don't have um, RP, RPI GPIO listed in like requirements.txt, and I need to install it before things will work. Um, mm. I guess what I want to clarify is like just a Pi specific dependency. And now that we're, um, you know, also going to have stuff running on like BeagleBone, are we going to need to do something different there? Or is it just something where it should be in the dependencies and we've kind of been overlooking it? Uh, I would imagine that it should be as a dependency on Blinka and then anything that pulls Blinka in would use it. But I also feel like you and Drew would have a better idea than I would. Um, I don't know how Pip handles that. So I should just check whether it is actually specific to Pi hardware, if it's a more general GPIO library. Drew, do you happen to? Drew, do you happen for, to? <clears throat> for the GPIO? So for libgpio-od, you mean? For using those bindings? Specifically, a library, specifically a library called BIO. Yeah, yeah. Um, like we're using the new um, character device for GPIO. I, I don't think Raspberry Pi is using the new stuff. Okay, what's the, what's the one that you, what's the library that you're referring to? Um, I'm gonna go back um, and I'm gonna go back and figure out which set of libraries. And I'll, I'll, and I'll post I'll, an issue somewhere. Post an issue somewhere. 
Okay. Well, because there's um the newer the newer semantics was in the um GPIO zero or something like that, right? Isn't that the one that has like the better, yeah. kind of more sensible semantics than like the legacy RPA to GPIO or the wiring pi? Be maybe we just need yeah, that to could look be maybe we just need to, to use like to use that. So like I believe. One of the people at the foundation ended up creating um, GPIO zero because, which has much nicer semantics, I would say, than like the existing ones that were being used. Um, but um, I mean, ultimately, all of these were under under the scenes using uh, SysFS, and then you know, going forward, since that's deprecated um, after, I think, well. It's going to be a few years, but we need to move away from it. Um, so there's, for the system level, there's libgpod, which does not have Python bindings. Um, and that, that the change there is that GPIO is exposed through a character device. So it's a matter of opening up the character device for the GPIO chip and then doing IO control calls on it. Hmm. Um, hmm. So there are Python bindings for that. So like my idea for GPIO when it comes to um, Linux boards in Python is to use the new uh, Python bindings for libgpod. So I think ultimately like Blinka should be using the Python libraries for libgpod. Yeah, I think that's true. What I would yeah, suggest I think that's is true. What I would putting suggest an issue is on the Blinka repo. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's good. All right, let's move on. All right, let's move on. Drew, you have a wicked echo. Drew, you have makes a it wicked hard. echo. It makes it hard. Oh, do I? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry. No worries. Uh, no but worries. yeah, follow up on the issue, uh, and we can sort it out there. Um, okay, uh, and then I think Carter has three, but I think they'll all be quick, so let's just uh, do those as well. Um, 49, 43. Go ahead, Carter. Are you sure? Like I said, I'm, I'm fine with you punting and going to the BLE stuff, which I think is definitely way more important. Well, your stuff is usually quick, so let's just let's just run through them. Okay. Um, so the first one, library file folder layouts. So, you know, we've got sensors that can be I2C or SPY. Mm -hmm. and we've got several of these, and we've written drivers for them. And then the basic idea is you create like a base class and then you create an I2C and a SPI versions that derive from it. Right. So what's good ways of having all those uh, files laid out or folders laid out for those scenarios? Because we've been doing, I think, various things. I think if there's a lot of code in the subclasses, they should be split into different files. Otherwise, you're importing the other one that you don't need. Um, but I would just have, I would have them all at the same, all at the same level. Yeah. So I would say the first option, if there's not a lot of code in the I squared C and the spy stuff, but then, uh, the second option, if there is a lot of code that people won't want to include. Okay. So it depends on code size. So yeah, I would say that. And I kind of agree with that because option one is, is much easier to use. Right. And then option two requires a little, a little bit more syntax in the import foo. And I guess you can always refactor the first one into the second one, which is kind of what I've done with some things. Yeah, yeah. If, if the code, if the libraries ever grow. Yeah, which you would imagine they should they should grow in the sensor pie instead of the other stuff, but you never know. 
Right. Okay, then the second one, class yep. versus instant level buffers. Okay, so this is another thing where we've done several things, or a mm -hmm. couple of things. Right. And it has to do with this this little buffer we create that's like two or six long byte array buffer for uh, using it for a back and forth communications and stuff. Right. So let's see. Um, I would do I would do instance level, even though I know there's some class stuff. And the reason is is that if it's class related, it, like any sort of multi-threading stuff will cause an issue potentially. So I would probably Correct. just move it over to instant level instance level and do it in the constructor or just do it once okay so the answer is do don't worry about trying to save you know a couple of copies of a six byte array just just make it be in the instance right yeah i think okay. it's a bit of over optimization with the risk uh running the risk of having the multi-threading stuff cause right issues. right okay cool i i agree with that um, and then the last one, yeah, hopefully real quick, someone's got this. This comes up when we're trying to get these repos uh, set up and we someone will create the blank repo, someone will pull request to the repo, yep. and all of a sudden we realize, oh, we haven't turned on Travis. Right. So you go turn it on, but how can you like say, all right, you're 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 on now, actually run Travis without having to just do a silly commit to kick it? Um, I at least have permissions. I can tell it to do a manual build. Um if you don't have those permissions, let me know. We can get you those. I think I do, and I think I've tried that. And it, it are you doing this on Travis or on GitHub? Travis. So you go on Travis, and you can do a manual build, and it will it will go. Yes, that's been my experience. All right, All right I'll try that again because I think I've tried it a couple of times, and for some reason, it just it said, I'm not sure what it said, but it really just didn't roll until you actually did another commit. Pretty sure it said that there's no Travis.yaml file because it's trying to run on master, not on the pull request. Right, right. right. So right, you'd have to figure it. out how to refer to the pull request instead when you trigger the manual build. And is there a way to do that? I assume so, but I don't know what it is. Okay. Yeah, so that's the trick. Somewhere on Travis say it's probably go. it's probably similar to remember last week we were talking about and Jerry had this of like how to easily pull down a PR. Like there's a ref there that he talked about. I bet you can give that ref to Travis and it'll it will do it because uh, it's doing something similar under the hood. Okay, we'll try that. And I think we got we got a current repo we can play with that on. There might be a test button on the GitHub side too. So yeah, yeah, that's what that's what I'm wondering, Dan. Is there was my, my problem is we're using a, a deprecated way of kick of making Travis happen, and eventually we're going to switch over to services or actions or something but right. we're not here. yep okay i'll play around with a little more cool. i guess that's all i've got awesome thank you carter and i yeah, knew no I, I knew we would be quick um <laughs> okay so um we kind of wanted to to take the tail end of this meeting in our um and our in the weed section to talk more about ble uh, for those of you who don't know, K-Town joined, uh, K-Town has been with Adafruit a long, a while, like five years and literally has written a book on BLE. So, uh, wanted to get, uh, him into this discussion. Um, Arturo was great and has been working on BLE and, and, uh, pushed a PR. So, uh, we can take a look at that PR. Do we, anybody have the number of that? 
but I think we were going to start with discussion of the BLR, the pull request review for the BLE IO PR that Arturo did. Um, so Dan, uh, have you taken a look at that? What what have you? What were your yeah. thoughts on it? Hold on, let me just paste the, a link into that. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I I didn't look at the. We were talking earlier um, about the uh, making it more Pythonic. Mm -hmm. um, the only thing I saw, I, I asked Arturo what what the difference might be between this and you blue uh, U blue pi. Right. And most of what I see is that um, the classes for central and peripheral are no longer there. And now there's just a device. Mm -hmm. So I'd much, but I'm not sure if that's peripheral or, or what. So uh, the example that he has in the, in the pull request has a comment that device says peripheral. So uh, mm -hmm. I, I need to just look at this in more detail. But there isn't, there aren't separate central and peripherals. Maybe he didn't do central yet, or maybe it's it's part of device. I'm not sure yet. Yeah, I feel like I was like... just looking at the classes. I was just looking at the class names first. Yeah, I, I I glanced through the docs, and I think it is like a keyword arg to device to tell it. Okay. Uh, like which which role to right. to take. Um. So, go ahead. Other than that, I mean, I think. Whatever we do, there'll be a lower level library and then there'll be, I think that there'll be a, a wrapper library on top of this. Um, we could decide whether that's, that is or isn't a good idea, but for maximum flexibility, it's probably okay since this is implemented in C anyway. So, right. um, but no, I haven't had time to go through it in detail and understand it. Okay. Uh, that's why I was hoping Arturo could be at this meeting, but he's not. So. Yeah, I pinged him, but he's not around. Uh, yeah. K, K Town, have you looked at it at all? I'm in the same boat. I just looked quickly through. I just saw this morning, so I looked through the example, and yeah, it seems that the distinction between central and peripheral is based on the constructor of the. Mm -hmm. Or yeah, it's it's not obvious to me that there's a clear distinction between central, right, and. I mean, there, there is some overlap between the two. Um, so I, I don't know if it's the right call or not just to have device or whether there should be maybe a clear distinction between the two roles. Mm -hmm. I have an opinion. But I, I, I haven't looked uh, sort of um, through all the file changes. I see 79 file changes <laughs> on, the, on the API. Yeah. Um, so I can't, yeah, I, I can't really give you a feedback on that now. Maybe uh, next Monday, I can, yeah. I can give, or, or in the pull request itself, I can give some more feedback on that. Yep. It does look like he did some central work though, because there's something going on with the scanner, so he can mm -hmm. successfully scan for devices. Right. That's actually the easiest part of central mode, anyway, is just scanning. Once mm -hmm. you actually connect uh, and maintaining multiple connections, maybe because if you have four or five devices that connect to the central. Mm -hmm. It gets complicated quickly, so I'm not sure where he is on the central side yet. Mm -hmm. um, so I'll, I'll, I did take a look at the API last night and, and talk a little bit about what I was. So I I brainstormed the BLE, I, a BLE API before, and I, I think my issue with I my issue with the the API is is it is now is it feels very C like because it's 
construct an object and call a function to add it to another object. Whereas mm. um, Python has this really cool ability of just declaring the structure of something. And the benefit of that is that you can give names to things. So instead of just saying like, I'm adding a service to a device, you can actually say like, I'm adding a service with this name to a device. And, and the way that like Python does that is that it's through like the device is represented by a class and then that class has members to it. So um, I really do like that way of doing it. I like, I like it being declarative. Uh, and then when you're interacting with it, instead of having all these, these different objects kind of in your local uh, variable space where like, in the in the way it's written now, like you have to name, you have to say like battery equals service in the constructor, and then you have all of these things kind of s- s- separately floating around, where you have like you have you have a device variable and you have a battery variable and you have like a variable for the the characteristic. I think that will get confusing really quickly, and I like the mm-hmm. idea of using Python's more declarative, um, and maybe there's a middle ground here, but like if you can say a class and the class has a battery service, then when you all you need to do is keep track of your device object and then you can do device.battery.level, for example. And then you can read and write that value directly. Um, instead of having this more C-like way where like, yeah, under the hood everything knows how it's hooked up, but in reality, like you haven't really hooked it up in Python land yet. Uh, you still have a bunch of variables that that you have to use disjointedly. Um, if you have to keep track of a bunch of handles and things like that, it's not particularly um, um, user-friendly or Python-esque. <laughs> yeah, that right. was that was my impression of it. Um, and then the so other... Guess... Go ahead, Dan. Go ahead. Well, I was just saying, and so the question is like, can we get away with use, creating an API that is like that? Uh and not have a lower level API, or do we have a lower level API, which is the other thing is just implemented in terms of. So right, it's not clear. <laughs> it's not clear to me what else you would get from a lower level API. I, I think that's a question for like if you have an unknown kind of device, do you need a lower level API to create a new? You know. I don't have a byte computer service, but I want to create one. So do you need the lower level API in order to, to set that up? Or can you actually get away with just having creating a class like that's by computer and it 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 has a certain interface that you right. can you that they you duct type to match whatever whatever it needs or something like that. So like it has bytes computer specific stuff and it also has uh, BLE generic stuff and right. say, I don't know. So I, I don't know the answer to that question. So, um, and that's really a question kind of for you, Kevin, about like, I mean, the, these are all described kind of in terms of the spec and the lower level stuff. And what are the abstractions as a you that what kind of user experience that we actually want to have for somebody so that they don't necessarily have to understand all this stuff in order just to start to do a simple connect to some Bluetooth device and get or to send or receive data from it. So really itself, I mean, it's, it's a fairly simple standard, but it does still, 
assume a lot of reading. I I, I, I read yeah. all of the 4.1 spec. I don't know how big the 5.0 spec is, but it was like 2,500 pages. And when I was writing when I was writing the book, I was just constantly flipping between like three or four completely different PDFs because they'll give you one piece of information in the core spec, and then all of the key hexadecimal values are in some addendum somewhere. And right. just it's 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 a nightmare. It's not complicated when you sort of wrap your head around it, but people don't want to be dealing with with that mess. So I think it does make sense as uh, as was proposed to have maybe some higher level classes like just battery service or um, I, that people don't need to really start to like the uh, the CCCD, which is what will table a bit inside that to get notifications when a new message comes. I don't think people need to to, to necessarily know about those types of problems mm -hmm. because they just want to expose a battery level. So there there will probably be two levels in a sense to the API mm -hmm. classes that are based around the published. Um, get services and characteristics by some of the common uh, services to implement. And then obviously you'll need some sort of lower level base class, which is just be an attribute. On top of that, you'll have services, characteristics, and descriptors. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, you'll have your, your helper classes, which will be battery level service, mm -hmm. or something like that. Right. How that gets exposed, I'm not sure. but. I think this, um, there are two important discussions here though, talking about the API. One is, I think we need to keep the high level API as e API as easy to use as, poss as possible. What's nice about Python is that you can do in 10 lines of code, mm -hmm. something that, that, that would take 300 lines in C, <laughs> uh, having to track handles and global variables and everything. So having those high level classes makes a lot of sense, but very interesting discussion is BLE API depends directly today on the, the Nordic soft device. Mm -hmm. And when you were mentioning sort of two levels of APIs, uh, Dan, uh, that, that's a, that maybe I didn't understand, but that's the thing I, I, I was thinking about is today we have a Python API that we'll call directly the soft device. Um, Something we've discussed a bit internally, but uh, I think is worth continuing to discuss is should we have those two layers as a sort of an abstraction layer? Um, the, the way that um, I, if you look at the way uh, Bluetooth Low Energy is handled on Linux, for example, everything works through something called the HCI, the host controller interface, which is like it's like a, a basically a, a, a simple programming interface that usually works over UART or USB mm -hmm. CDC. And it basically totally abstracts the hardware, um, the radio and the hardware interface from the, the code running on the computer, which actually sends the, the BLD commands. And it, it, in a sense, it makes the system completely hardware neutral. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a simple interface. And the, 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 what I was thinking is, does it make sense in circuit python to design our BLE api that sends and receives hci commands and then we can take those hci commands and re redirect them to the soft device the advantage being that this BLE api and run it on a raspberry pi because you have this hci layer you mm -hmm. can talk directly to the BLE support on the raspberry pi so you don't even you don't need a BLE dongle or anything and you'll out of the box it'll work right away with um, with with the Raspberry Pi for for BLE, or if we if you if you have 
a non-NRF52 device, you could use an external radio and just program the, the an NRF, for example, with UART pins and HCI UART firmware. And then you could BLE enable any other, like the, the, one of the SAMD chips, you could easily right. enable BLE right. support by programming a radio with HCR firmware. It's so a totally you, different. Yeah. Go ahead, Dan. Yeah, so are you suggesting that the the HCI interface is like akin to the SPI or I2C interface for sensors or some, whatever? And so we could write the HCI assembly and parsing, you know, the stuff that takes the results, we could we could write all that in Python. You don't have to write it in C. And then we it's have some hard. really low level stuff, which just does whatever primitives there, HCI primitives there are, which are probably like send and receive, or I don't know what there are, but they're it's even simpler. It's like sort of at the at the level of sending I two C messages or something like that. I mean, is that yeah. is that what you you'd say as opposed to implementing the HCI? layer in C and then having an abstract an abstraction above that. So uh, we'd have more Python on top and less underneath. And uh, so what, for instance, Arturo did, we would take the code that he wrote, which is mostly in C and took and have a level and have that rewrite that in Python and have it talk to the low level HCI primitives that, that are available in the software device. So and th then you would need to what what we would have to do is um, change the sort of have a have also some C code that exposes the HCI interface, but that would actually be probably less code than than we're we're doing today. And this Nordic soft device does have an HCI interface built into it. So does every of Zephyr, Minute. Mm. They all expose HCI mm -hmm. already. So it's it's actually probably less work in a sense to couple these. It's uh, sorry, you were going to say something, Scott. Well, I think I think that's very intriguing, and I think if only we just have to make sure that we have can get the performance we need out of the the Python layer. It's, it's going to be a thin layer. It's just a it's just a UART yeah um, sort of interface with uh, about thirty commands. I, I don't know how many off the top of my head, but it's a limited number of commands and parameters. I don't I don't think there's a lot of overhead. Um, additional overhead moving through HCI compared to some of the benefits you might get. Well, I think the, it is an additional layer. The, so. the question to me is like, is it a C layer or is it a Python layer, right? Like, do we, exp do we make this HCI layer something that is underneath whatever our Python exposes, or is that what we actually expose into Python? So I think Kevin is saying expose, the H H expose HCI just like we have Spy and I2C exposed. So it would be Python directly. Yeah. So you'd call, you'd say like, because this HEI, it's like, it's a buffer. It's a, it's a binary protocol. So mm -hmm. it's like, like, you know, like a QSPY interface or something like that is a binary. So we just, we would expose, we could assemble those packets, the message packets and assemble and parse the message packets in Python. Yeah. With, with pack and unpack or whatever. The only question is how do we expose the HCI interface um, on the, the soft device side in, in the case of the Nordic chips, um, whether that has to be a library or something, I, 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 I don't have the answer. That, that would be, that would be a built-in module. 
Right. Some, some sort of C code that exposes that. And then right. but I think 90% of the code side, it's just a matter of taking the HCI examples that Nordic gives and figuring out how to get that to play well with circuit, the circuit Python build system. Right. Uh, kind of like, like the way HID is implemented now where you just, mm -hmm. it's just a general report mechanism, send and receive report mechanism. In fact, right now we only have send, but right. And so all the decision about the kind of device is done. I, I think that's pretty intriguing. If we have the room and the performance for it, then it means, yes, we can just take, all we have to re-implement is this lowest level stuff, which is much less complicated, which mm -hmm. is just the HCI protocol. Um, and then you, the way you port it is just to re-implement that. And in fact, if you have multiple external devices, they all just work that have HCI, you know, like, mm -hmm. oh, I guess, does the 51A22 have HCI, for instance, or something like that? Like, these, these, like... The advantage is you can take the really cheap, older BLE chips, like the NRF51 devices that are under $2 now, um, and you can use one of those to enable BLE on anything, in this case, so the BLE API does become genuinely, and it's not mm -hmm. just tied to the Nordic soft device and its limitations or not. Because right. every, everything you write will be de decoupled from the pros and the cons of the soft device itself, which the soft device, the, the BLA um, implementation is very complete, but you, you're not tied to the design decisions of one manufacturer that way. And, right. and if, if you want to have an M4 plus BLE, you can just buy one of our cheap boards like the, the BLE sniffer maybe and reprogram that with HCI firmware. Mm -hmm. Or if you have a Raspberry Pi, then out of the box, you'll have BLE support in, in CircuitPython, which is, uh, I think, potentially a big plus. That, that, would, that, that makes a good uh, for example, if you have a BLE mesh network, you can use a Raspberry Pi then as your gateway device mm. with the outside world while staying fully inside CircuitPython. Right. And the nice thing about BLE as well is that we're not focused on speed. <laughs> like it's... Or 4K a second anyway, and BLE 4.1. Maybe 6K a second is like the most you can get out of it usually. Right. So that's beneficial because CircuitPython is not super fast either. But we can do things like I'm, I'm actually found there's there is a HCI dash protocol pip package. So it's something that is in Python already. Um, there's a there's a lot of implementations out there. It's it's not. It's less complicated to dig into HCI than it is to dig into the soft device, for sure. We we still have this the the something like HCI doesn't exist for like these other non BLE protocols, right? Like what what are the other mm -hmm. ones? You know, the eight hundred two point fifteen, the Gazelle and OpenThread stuff. Yeah, yeah. Fifteen, yeah, fifteen four. You won't, I, I'm not aware of an equivalent. I know fifteen. Yeah. So right. So that, and Thread are all based on. No, this is this is Bluetooth only. Yeah, yeah, yeah. okay. Only. But that's okay. I think that that's it. Still makes the la the layer thinner, right? So the C layer thinner. And in the in the M4 or the or the NRF, we have the room. I mean, we wouldn't necessarily have the room to do this on um, an M0, but we wouldn't do it this way anyway, or something like that. So, right, like um, on an M0, we potentially are like piping like we're just wrapping we're putting an hci interface over uart right like 
Yeah, that, yeah. that should be a couple, a couple of kilobytes maximum, I would expect. In fact, you should, if you're using an external radio, the advantage of using HCI is that basically the classes on the Python side to wrap everything up conveniently with like battery level service or whatever. Actually, I, I, I don't, I, you should still be able to run that probably in a few kilobytes of code, I would expect. <laughs> That's optimistic, I think, but... <laughs> Okay. I mean, for for something like battery level service, I think we're going to do that at the um, at the Python level, regardless. Like the one thing that we do have going for us in Python is that we can load di load code dynamically as we need it. Um, so we can do things like we have one file that we load that maps all the UUIDs to what we need to import if we see those that sort of stuff. Yeah, that's right. Exactly right. We can if, if we chop it up into tiny enough little bits, then each bit will be small enough. Right. So, I mean, that sounds great to me. That, that would be that would be my proposition. Though, is for, to focus uh, more on uh, HCI seems seems to have a, a significant number of advantages to it compared to sort of just targeting directly the, the soft device. It does add a bit of extra work, maybe. Mm -hmm. That's a it, it's a it's a safe option that gives you a high sort of a high degree of abstraction away from a specific bit of hardware mm -hmm. I, I, on the other hand we aren't really resource constrained on some of the newer nrf52 devices but uh yeah it, it is still nice to have the option to be able to enable non nrf52 devices right. by going the hdi route yeah i mean it sounds like the right layer to me um because it's a standard API across more than just the soft device. Um, and like the nice thing about it is like we can always make C versions of Python stuff that we write if we do need more speed. Like, yeah, if we need like I'm looking at the HCI protocol pip package thing and like they have a HCI packet dot parse like like that sort of stuff that we're doing it constantly like we can we can come up with ways of making that faster uh, if we need to. Um, so yeah. All right, I, well, go ahead, yeah. I was going to say, to wrap up, that means that we're not doing the PR that Arturo did. Can I make well, a, a suggestion? Yeah, Jerry, please. And that, uh, I wonder if we want to open a, a new issue or something like that to, to sort of start tracking this development. I think this sounds great. And uh, would love to to you know try and help too. So, but uh, certainly a lot of reading to do, a lot of learning, and there are a lot of probably a lot of links and a lot of places people have information. Yep. So I wonder if if be worth you know creating a new link, a new issue, or I don't know where you'd want to put it, but where this whole this can evolve. <laughs> yeah, I can. Yeah, I can do that, and people can. I can create the skeleton of that or start it. I think it'd be really great. Um, I really like the, the, this whole idea of, of the this HCI interface. I think it'd be really a nice way to do things. Yeah, I, I think we, we can still reuse a lot of the, the design work that uh, that Arturo did. It's just yeah. a matter of changing the bindings to the at, at the lower level, but the higher level work. Uh, right. There's still a lot that can be recycled there. Um, right. Maybe. Making that, that he's done some work now that we might or might not use, but I guess that's uh, I think he, <laughs> uh, like we never made any promises about it, so um, 
I think he'll be happy that it's just off his plate. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so I think I I think the HCI level is the right like if we do a, an HCI layer between C soft device on the Nordic on the NRF fifty two into Python and then whatever abstractions we need on top of that to be able to do the BLE stuff we can add. And then that means that we can also implement other HCI transports like like spy or you are um, in Python purely and then uh, be able to place the Bluetooth stuff on top of it. Um, and then it's track. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, so, so yeah, the benefit is it's transport uh, agnostic in a sense, as long as it's binary. Right. Right. So right. you whatever you want. Yep. Totally. Um, so we could have a Python layer that, that you, for each transport that we want on top of that. Um, and then for the the non-BLE stuff that the Nordic chip supports, we'll do, we can just always add that later as separate modules, uh, which I think we would have done anyway. We'll just those will be separate C to Python modules uh, for that specific build. You, you can still keep the soft device on there. It's just you'll have an additional layer that sits between the soft device. So you'll have the soft device, and then an HCI module that sits on top of it. But you can continue to use the existing. Right. Soft device for access to other peripherals. Yeah. Uh, right. Just a matter of putting something sort of a, a layer between those two. Yep. Yeah. Circuit Python. Yeah. Yeah. So shared bindings will be Python bindings into HCI with common HAL C functions behind it that match the HCI interface. And then those will be implemented by calling the soft device in the NRF port specifically. So the shared binding okay. stuff will be HCI only. Which would be cool. Yeah, there, there's a lot of advantages to be gained from going down that road, but uh, um, yeah, there's obviously. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm on board with it. It, I mean, it's all, when I was at Google, it was emphasized to me that it's always good to reuse an existing API than making up your own, so. Yeah. It's been around forever, so it's really well understood and well documented, and there's lots of it. So you're not just uh, relying on one vendor's right. development team. Right. You... Yeah, it's a very, I mean, I wish we had stuff like that for TCP IP or something. There's no ACI for. Yeah, this actually comes back to, a, I guess, a, a different discussion. That I don't know if this is the right time or place, but we were talking about uh, RTOS or, or not RTOS. Um, context of BLE, but... Uh, I think it, there is an interesting discussion to be had. If if we if we looked at some of the R tosses that are out there today, it's the, the the two big ones for me in the open source space are Zephyr and Minute. Um, the benefit of maybe considering if we want to use bare metal uh, on some of these complex sort of network heavy devices is there are already open source implementations, not just of BLE, but of IP6, of OpenThread, of 15.4, of a lot of other complex protocols that are already implemented on some of these. Um, right. So if if we're going to invest time into BLE, uh, for me, it's maybe it's a valid question to consider: is the soft device approach, or is it worth considering migrating away from the Nordic soft device and looking at an alternative like uh, Zephyr, or Minute, or something else source? I 
um, and, and then running CircuitPython as like a thread there where you, you'll also get multi-threading support. Right. That that that's I don't think that's something for the upcoming release, obviously. Yeah. But maybe just, maybe just a discussion to have in the back of your mind. To right. I I think that's what that's exactly what I would say is like I think the HCI level doing that now means that it, we're not cornering ourselves into the soft device uh, with the work that we want to do imminently. Uh, but I think that for switching to the actual RTOS, I think there's work around bootloader and mm-hmm. um general like like higher level stuff like how does it run and and all of that 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 would need to be worked on that we just don't want to do for 4x so i think the hci stuff is the perfect level of like we're not cornering ourselves but we're not going to do it immediately but when we do want to do it we'll be able to switch over pretty easily is is what the hci is hci actually used in in zephyr and mindu to talk to no. that potentially Right. They they talk directly to the um, to the radio. They both implement totally their uh, a full blue, direct Bluetooth low energy stack that mm-hmm. talks to the to the Phi, but they both have full HCI and examples that you can easily compile and expose it over UART or USB CDC or whatever. So they both have HCI built in out of the box to, to talk to the radio though because they they've implemented their own radio drivers. Mm-hmm. Right. So the the only downside of HCI is that even though we're all kind of in the same sea land, we end up having to do packing and unpacking across that boundary, right? Yeah, but the, the the overhead will be minimal. It's just the yeah, there is a I guess a, a, a small bottleneck there. Right. But honestly, there's also a bottleneck talking to the soft device, and there's trade offs in that architecture. Right. Where you lose control of your your interrupt handling, and you you can't do anything real time anymore. Right. So there's there's trade-offs in either case, but the HCI, the the bottleneck should be fairly limited. Right. Yeah. I guess I forget I'm in C land where you can just like offset into the, your structures just fine. Um. So on something like the the NRF fifty two forty or the M four chips, I, I can't imagine this. You'll you'll see much of a performance hit, um, packing and unpacking bytes relative to the throughput you're going to get with BOE anyway. It's not like right. you're, you're sending PDFs back and forth or something. <laughs> right. yeah, yeah, you're moving that stuff onto the stack or something anyway. So it's it gets moved one way or the other, I guess. How, how does that, how does the doing it at the HCI level impact our ability to share the BOE stuff with, um, with user code? So like one thing I want to do is to be able to like, like will show up by default as a device that has a particular service that allows you to like update the f- to update um like a file or something right if if you're editing from a phone so I'm not not sure I follow what you're suppose we we want to be a peripheral circuit python also wants to be a peripheral that looks like a file system or something like that right so that people can have an app on a phone that lets them edit their Python code. Right. But we can, I mean, we can manage locking and stuff in coordination with, um, with the user, user HCI stuff. So basically like there's, there's going to be two sources for HCI commands. There's going to be the internal C, 
C uh, circuit Python code, and then there's also going to be like whatever the user's uh, USB code or user's user code is doing, user's Python code is doing. Okay. Yeah. So, sorry. I guess I follow. So yeah, just I. I mean that that becomes just a a programming issue. How do you right? How do you merge? How do you merge the underneath the surface? Everything with BLE is based on just an attribute table. So it's just records in the table. Mm -hmm. So what you will probably have to do is if you want to add something, you'll need to say, stop advertising, mm -hmm. update the, update the attribute table with the new records and then start advertising again. Yeah. You, you, you can't do that to merge. So it just means you'll have to have internally some sort of attribute list that, that can be, but it's that that's just a programming problem. There's no reason you can't do that. Right. To um, to update things on the fly, to where you have like a, a base sub, you have a, basically a base subset of services. Mm -hmm. Maybe you want to expose some DFU service and maybe BLE UART. Right. You can add something on top of that, but there's this sort of minimum contract of. Yep. Uh, it's always there. So that's there's no reason you can't do that with HCI. No. Cool. Yeah, we'll just have to have mechanics around it uh, to make sure that we don't clobber and stuff um it's just a, a resource management issue really. right yeah and it's a similar one to what we have with usb um it's a similar problem the organization of BLE is actually quite similar to usb uh, beneath the surface yeah i'm not surprised by that <laughs> not at all i've been doing midi stuff and i just i looked at the BLE midi stuff and it's just like oh just a matter of how you get the packets across yeah it's just, it's I, I did notice the resemblances to usb when i was reading through the spec yeah totally all right. Well, um, I think, is there anything else we want to talk about for BLE or I think we've got a plan? Um, I've, yeah. I've got nothing else to throw in. It's a shame Arturo couldn't give his two cents worth. Yeah. Well, um, we'll I will, because this is recorded, I'll link Arturo to it and, and we can follow up on the issue that Dan makes. Um, okay. Well, I'm going to wrap us up because we are an hour and a half in. Um, Thank you, everybody who made it to this meeting and, and for all of those of you who stuck around to hear about BLE. Um, and Ketan, thank you uh, specifically for you as well, jumping in and joining us here. Uh, this meeting happens every week uh, at um, 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern here on our Discord. Uh, our Discord, if you want to join, you can. we're around all week, but we're only usually in the voice channel on Mondays for the meeting. Uh, you can go to the URL adafru.it slash discord to join. Everybody is welcome both to join the discord and to join the, the voice meeting that we have on Mondays. Uh, the meeting is recorded. Uh, the notes have time codes in it, so you can skip around to the things you want to listen to. Um, if you want to uh, see those recordings, you can go to the Adafruit YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash Adafruit. Um, or you can go to diode.zone. I'm putting them up there as tan newt. You can check them out there, T-A-N-N-E-W-T. Uh, I'll post links to both of those in the CircuitPython text channel, so just start with the Discord. Um, and we should be, I think, normal schedule next week, so uh, we'll see everybody in the Discord until uh, Monday when we have our next voice meeting. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everyone. Thanks. Bye-bye.